It's so great to be with you this morning. Thank you for being here today. We, uh, we have a special week that is coming up, and it's Serve Week. You heard a lot about it, and we have a special guest speaker today that is a friend of mine. I had not thought of this, Greg, until I said it during the first service, but we've known each other since 1982. I'll let you do the math. That's longer than we've been married, um, although in 1982, I had my eye already on the person that I would marry. Um, when I started to get to know you. So we're Bible college friends, and I got to tell you, I appreciate this guy, and I look forward. Boy, I tell you, we went a long time without seeing each other, uh, you know, in ministry, but I just am so grateful for him. And would you do me a good uh, a favor, and let's give a great UP welcome to a UP native, Pastor Greg. Thank you, my friend. You have, honestly, quality pastor and his wife, and I've just known them for, yeah, 40, 41 years. I mean, I knew your wife and her sister for the year before I knew you, so, uh, but man, we just go back, and I just, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning, and so good to have all of you. Uh, I want to just, this being serve week, I, I want to throw out some phrases that, because I'm going to throw these out because they don't fit in my sermon. So, uh, so I'm just going to give you these phrases on, on serving and why we serve, the importance of this week coming up, and then I'm going to just tell you a little bit about myself, and then we're going to get into the, the preaching of the Word this morning, the, the Word that Lord's really laid on my heart for such a time as this. Uh, serve, served, uh, save people, serve people, and often serve people get saved. Why do we serve? Because Christ called us to serve. Uh, and just also another reminder is that uh, when we serve, whether it be at your home and you're serving your mate, your kids, your parents, however it works, uh, if you're serving somebody, uh, if you go into it serving with an agenda, hoping that somebody else will appreciate you or, or, or give you praise or do whatever, uh, you are simply really serving yourself. If you go into serving with absolutely no agenda, understand this, that is your act of worship to God. And I am grateful this week that we have seven people from Missouri who that is their passion. They are coming with no agenda and uh, they, they just want to serve. It is their act of worship to God. They've sacrificed to be here this week. Uh, those seven, uh, are they all here? If you guys would stand up, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, so that is awesome. Love these guys. Uh, missing one. Who was? One, two, three. Oh yeah, little Jimmy. He's somewhere around here. He's that six foot six guy with muscles. Kind of looks like me. I mean, a lot like me. I just, uh, <laughs> real funny story quickly. I was at a, a, a Tampa Bay, or no, a Florida Marlins baseball game. And uh, the, this, this African American couple came, sat right down next to me. And, um, and I said to the guy, man, you remind me of somebody. He says, well, I get Emmett Smith all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's who you look like. And then I said, yeah, I get, I, I get Brad Pitt all the time. I mean, I, and the lady looks at me and goes, you don't look nothing like Brad Pitt. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> we joked with it. Anyway, uh, so uh, just a, a little quick preview of, of Convoy of Hope or a little bit of plug for Convoy. I'm blessed 
to have been with an organization that every single day we feed 500,000 kids. It's our act of worship to God to, to honor and bless people. We respond to natural disasters all over. My part is I get to go to rural communities and be a blessing. I help coach, train, mentor, and then resource our rural churches to get outside the four walls of their building and make a difference in their community. Uh, one of those uh, little thoughts that we throw out there is if your church no longer existed, would anybody in your town even know you existed? And sadly, there are way too many churches that have to say nobody in our town's even, we know we're here and we like us, but nobody in our town knows us. And so that's part of my uh, portfolio is to just help uh, churches make a difference in their community. And I, I love it that we're partnering this week with your church because, I mean, serving all the people you have, people know you're here. And I commend you, and I, I want to just bring people beside you and, uh, and kind of glean from you. And uh, so we're here to serve, but we're also here to, to, to really just have impact with one another and do body, the body type things. My wife and I also do, my wife Rochelle, she's not here this week. Uh, she, has, uh, she had some things that she had to take care of, but I, have, I am madly in love with my wife. We've been happily married now for 35 years married all together for 36, but happily for 35, right? And I mean, you take an hour here and a night on the couch every so, you know, and they lived happily ever after. That's only in fairy tales, right? Because uh, in reality, we're going to have conflict and stuff happens. And I'm thankful that we have tools. My wife and I do marriage retreats 20 weekends a year. And uh, I know that about half the team that's been with us, uh, they're happier people because they came to a marriage retreat. So, I mean, look at this is one couple right here. They, a year ago, they didn't even have their arms. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Uh, but glad to be here. And uh, so um, if you have your Bibles this morning, oh, I wanted to just tell this one last story about how Convoy of Hope came into being. Uh, Convoy of Hope is an organization that began in 1994 with a bunch of brothers, Donaldson brothers. Uh, it really began when Hal Donaldson was on assignment as a journalist, and his assignment was to go and interview Mother Teresa the end of the interview, it had went wonderful, the interpretations back and forth. And at the end of that, Mother Teresa looked Hal Donaldson straight in the eye and said, young man, what are you doing to, to make a difference in the poor and the suffering? And he wanted to say something, but he didn't think it was a good idea to lie to Mother Teresa. And so he told the truth. He said, really? Uh, not, not nothing, not, not much. And she didn't take that. She didn't let him back out. She, she just said, everybody can do something. And that is really the call of the church, friends. You may be sitting here this morning going, what can God do to use me? Uh, I can tell you this, that everybody can do something. And if you start to look for opportunities, God will open doors that you will be just shocked at. So uh, this morning, though, I want to turn our attentions to, to Scripture the title of our message is Fighting for Our Prodigals. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I, I really got on my face before God and said, God, I just want a word that I can share with the body of Christ wherever I go. I'm out of, I'm out of Springfield, Missouri, uh, in, in churches about 40 weekends a year is what I travel, and uh, incredible people I get to, to, to be around. Uh, but the Lord just laid this message on my heart. Uh, we all have prodigals that we know. 
those people that were once in church, COVID did us no favors, right? Where those people that once came to church, it was just an excuse for some people to say, okay, I'm out or I'm watching online or I'm not going to. And, uh, and, And I'm not good with that. I want to see the body of Christ thrive. I want to see those people who were once in church back in church, uh, but with a new fire, a new passion, a new desire. Maybe there's those people who have just made up their minds that I'm going to find answers somewhere else, and they're going uh, not to the church, but they're going somewhere else. This morning's message is all about we're going to fight for our prodigals on our knees. We're going to fight for our prodigals with our words and with our actions. The enemy has been using the same tactics to take people out of the church for years and years and years. Uh, He always uses these three things found in Scripture, The book of Daniel, if you have your Bibles, but before you go there, uh, I can't speak about uh, prodigals without talking about the story Jesus told in uh, Luke chapter 15. He gives a story there. And the one piece I want to draw out of Jesus' story about the prodigal, that kid that was given his inheritance early, squandered everything, I want us to see the heart of the Father. Because as much as you love and pray for your prodigals, I want you to know that God's heart, he he cares more than you and I do. May I also say this, I didn't say this, may I also say this, I didn't say this in the first service, but I know that even as I begin to share this, that some of you have a prodigal son or a prodigal's daughter, and the enemy has beaten you up and said, if you had done this, If you had done that differently, and here you are living with regret, may I say this to you, be encouraged. It is not too late. Get on your face, humble yourself before God. Do not walk in pride. Don't walk in that sense of, I'm going to make this. Don't, Don't try to make it work now. You just take that thing to God. Let God do what only God can do. And if he chooses to use you to bring that child, that person back to Christ, yippee. But we're not going to give up. We are not, and we're not going to walk in defeat, okay? The, the, the way that the enemy has worked for you, oh, the, the part of the father in this story, understand this, that, that when that child came home, daddy was standing there by the mailbox looking down the lane waiting for his son to come home. And when the son came home, the father ran after his son in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And when he ran after his his heart was pounding, word of God says in one, one translation. And when he met his son, he wrapped his arms around, you were lost, now you're found. There was joy, they threw a party, put a robe around him and a, a crown on his, head, on his head, and they rejoiced that what was lost has been found. How many of you believe that that day is coming for your lost loved one? How many believe that? You really do believe that. I pray that you continue to believe that. Here are the tactics that the enemy uses. In Daniel chapter 1, we find this, that uh, there was a, a, just a backdrop to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, uh, Israel uh, the, and the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, had been in bondage for 400 years when the Lord used Moses to take them out of Egypt 
brought them into a wilderness for 40 years. There was a purging that took place. And out of that, eventually those children all went into the promised land through Joshua's ministry and his, uh, war, uh, uh, all the warriors that, that conquered and did things. And they, they occupied this area, this land for many, many years. At the end of that, there were highs, there were lows, people who came, people who went, they served God, they, they turned their backs on God, served God, turned their back, and finally God said, I've had enough, and he allowed the country of Babylon and the King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and totally annihilate Israel. They took down the temple of God, they took down all the structures, burned the walls, took down the, 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 the palace, uh, took things away, and that's where we pick up this story, Daniel chapter 1 says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Israel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men who, uh, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The first thing the enemy will always use is our worldview. How we view God, what we believe about God, the enemy will skew what God's character really is uh, for a, a person. Even here today, some of you maybe are struggling, is God even good? Uh, I, I've been serving God, and then this happened, and that happened, and sometimes it's easy to almost treat God like he's a cosmic Santa Claus. Like, I pray and God should do this, and when he doesn't, all right, I'm not serving that kind of God anymore. I want to say this to you, that this is one belief that I'm going to hold on till the day I die. God is a good God. God is a good God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just simply say, God is good, and say it all the time. God is good all the time. Even when I don't sense it, feel it, I know that God is good. Going on with our story. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Point number two, the enemy will always go after our appetites. There are things in this world that are wonderful, and they just uh, they appeal to our flesh. We just go after it, and there's reasons for it. Uh, but know this, that sin is fun for a season, but in the end, there comes the payday. Okay, and we're going to go through that. Uh, and then the Bible says this, that among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Point number three is our identity. The, the world has an identity that he's given to, to probably all of us. 
For some, it was uh, rich. For some, it was poor. Some, it was our nationality. For some, it was we failed at something and you've adopted that failure mentality. For some of you, it's your size, whether skinny or uh, on the heavy side. Or some of you, it's your looks. You've had a defect and you uh, you can be known by that. My my dad actually was born with a big uh, birthmark on his face. And my grandpa, my, my dad's dad, walked, he, for years, he would, uh, when they were seen in public today, my grandpa would introduce my dad as, this is my little freak. And that can have an effect on a person and on a human being. So this morning, the three areas that the enemy will always go after in our faith, your faith, uh, those who are not here today, he has went after them in these three areas. Their worldview, he's went after their appetite, and he'll go after your identity. So let me just break that down because as a child of God, uh, I, I know this, that there are things in your life that you can get sidetracked with. Facebook is one of those things, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, whatever you want. It, 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 the, the problem with those things as the body of Christ is we get sidetracked and we forget to make the main thing the main thing. Okay? It's easy to get sidetracked and say, I'm a Christian, therefore you should vote for, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And, and then we become mean towards one another. If you want true happiness in your life, can I say this? Get off social media and quit watching the news so much. <clears throat> the number one thief of everyone here is comparison. And the problem with social media sometimes is we compare somebody else's best days to our worst day. And we say we don't line up. May I also say it this way? I didn't say this in the first service, but this was one of those things had a huge impact on my life, is this, that we got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. If you look in the Bible, right after uh, David and Saul went to battle and defeated Goliath, they were coming back. And as they're walking through the parade, the women started singing the praises. And they said, uh, 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 Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And the Bible tells us this, that there was a spirit of contempt that uh, fell on, da on Saul. And from that moment on, he took his eyes off God and put his eyes on David. If you want to destroy happiness and joy in your, in, your, in your life, just begin to watch other people because you will go, I can't measure up. The Bible tells us this and that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says that we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that, my friends, is where real happiness comes. I know for myself, my life changed the day I quit trying to be Billy Graham, the day I quit trying to be whoever it was, and I realized nobody makes a better me than me. Nobody makes a better me than me, and I'm cool in my own skin. It's cool. Okay, so let me just go through this then. Four areas that we need as a church to hold on to, preach till we die. Number one is this, that God is the creator of all. There is no other creator. We didn't just get here by accidents. Uh, he, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 tells us this, that in the beginning, God. I, I was listening to somebody talk about it because I struggled for years in my own faith and almost didn't serve God because I couldn't get an answer to this question, where did God come from? And then I heard this one little piece and I'm like, that makes sense to me. How many of you ever had something like that happen? You go, I just need that little nugget. And here was my little sense piece in this, uh, that how, did, how do we know God exists? That God, it takes three things for us to be here today. 
It takes, we all exist in time. We all, there's space and there's matter. You can't have matter without space. The earth has to revolve and move, and move around somewhere. Time doesn't make sense without space and matter. Read Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God, time, in the beginning, God created the heavens, that's space, and God created the earth, that's matter. And, if you, and to understand this, that God lives outside of all of that, God is not confined by time, he's not confined by matter, he's not confined by space. God is God, if you can wrap your head around that, God isn't God. Because the fact that he is so big and enormous makes me want to go, I want to serve that God. God is real. Second thing is to understand that God's word is real. Preach the word. I said this earlier in the first service. I was talking to somebody last night at a party that we had at uh, Kay's house. And uh, uh, somebody said, the reason we came to this church, Silver Creek, is because they preached the word. The word of God is still attractive, and we still need to preach the word as if it's true. I've understood this through the years as a pastor. I've watched people go through this, is that we are either in pursuit of one of two things in all of us in our life. We're either in pursuit of truth, God's word, or we're in pursuit of a lifestyle. If we're in pursuit of God's truth, we change our lifestyle to fit that truth. If we're in pursuit of a lifestyle, we will find a truth. The Bible says in Tim, the book of Timothy that in the last days people will surround themselves with people who want to tickle their itching ears. Tell me something that makes me feel good about myself. They skew the truth because they want to live a certain lifestyle uh, apart from what God actually says. So you talk to young people today, people, young people say, I just want to be accepted for who I am. And the real problem there is young people don't even know who they are when they're young. How many of us really knew who we were, we were at a young age? Truth is, we discover who we are when we start to put God's word into effect in our life. And we begin to exercise God's truths in our life and say, God, no matter what, I'm going to serve you, period. Number three, the third thing that we need to understand, and this is part of our worldview. If you have this worldview, Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much that he went to a cross to die for you. You may question other people's love in your life, but never underestimate, never question that Jesus Christ truly loves you. The proof of that is he went to the cross and shed his blood for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God that Jesus, and if the cross didn't happen, our faith, Paul said, is absolutely useless. How many of you are thankful that not only did Jesus Christ die on the cross, but that he has risen today and the tomb is still empty? We have a hope, a hope that the world didn't give us and the world can't take away. The fourth piece is we all need to be people who share the word. We have been called as the body of Christ to preach, to share God's word, to, to, to be a witness of what God has done in our life. Some of you go, well, I don't know if I can do that. I get scared. I get uh, uh, sweaty palms. I, just the thought of it. May I just reduce some of this to, to it's not as hard as you've made it out to be. Uh, I believe this a church will start to die if and when it makes the decision, whether consciously or subconsciously, to keep people rather than to reach people. 
That's when a church begins to die. May you as a church always be about, there's got to be one more lost soul for us to reach. That is why we do feeding programs. That is why we reach out to a community. It's why we serve, because we want to see lost people come to know Jesus. My wife uh, was challenged one time. Uh, this was last October. She was challenged at uh, the little church that, that uh, we go to when I'm home called James River. And uh, they were, they, the pastor was talking about, uh, you never know. If you just share your faith with somebody and offer to pray for somebody, who knows what door it's going to open. At the end of the service, she went out and said, God, just use me somehow, some way. She went to Aldi's to get some groceries. As she's checking out, she really hears the, feels the tap of the Holy Spirit on her shoulder. Says, why don't you offer to pay for the gal's uh, food right behind you? So when she got to the, she had made a little bit of conversation, how you doing? And the gal kind of looked on. I've had better days. And my wife's got to the, and the lady behind the counter goes, is that everything? And my wife looked up and looked at the person behind. She looked over how many groceries she had on the belt, because that would have mattered, right? And she said, well, if it's all right with you, I'd like to buy your groceries too. And the gal started crying. And she goes, yeah, I think that'd be okay. They put their food in their carts. My wife ended up paying. She looked at the gal and said, is there something going on in your life? She said, can we talk about it in the parking lot? They went out to the parking lot, and my wife got the lowdown that this gal had been married for 42 years. Her husband was in uh, the hospital with COVID, and the doc they were going to take him off the respirators that day. And my wife said, can I pray for you and pray for your husband? She said, yeah, his name is Chris. And my wife in the parking lot just said, Lord, I just pray you do a supernatural work for Chris. Heal his body in the name of Christ and give a hope like none other. She went to their car, put her groceries away, scribbled down her name and phone number and said, here, if something happens one way or another, please give me a call. I just want to offer you my friendship and let you know that I care. Three weeks went by and she got a text. Hi, this is Rita. You don't, maybe don't remember me, but you prayed for me in all these parking lot. I have some really good news. The day they took my husband off the ventilator, he began to breathe on his own. And there is no other explanation for it other than I think God touched his body. And this gal is just starting a walk with God and doing some things. And all it took was an act of obedience, of sharing your faith with somebody, looking around for somebody who you go, uh, you know what, I, I think they could use enough. Sometimes we just get caught in our own little world and forget why God put us here on this planet. And that's to remember that there are hurting people in our path that God puts there every day. If you'll look for them, great things will happen. You'll discover God do amazing things. Number two is appetite. And I'm only going to use this as an example. Uh, the, the example is uh, a, a few years ago, it's been almost two years ago now, my wife was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And uh, uh, it was one of those things that her mom actually died of breast cancer as well. It was kind of the worst feel like, uh, I knew it was coming my way, all that stuff. And um, uh, we had an operation. I'm so glad to tell you today that my wife is absolutely cancer free. Uh, but in the process of it, she began to see a nutritionist. How many of you believe that what you put in your mouth affects how you feel? Let me believe that, okay? Uh, you might believe that. How many of you like that, right? Wouldn't it be more fun just to eat whatever you want, right? Uh, anytime you want. I'm, uh, right, I'm, 
I love Mountain Dew, but I'm telling you, it can do some bad things. What she discovered by seeing a, a, a nutritionist is this, that sugar has a horrible effect on your body. How many of you knew that? How many of you don't care? <laughs> it has a horrible effect on our body. And she discovered that uh, the average American, anybody want to guess how many pounds the average American consumes, uh, how many pounds of sugar they consume in a year? Anybody want to guess? 150. Yeah, you were here first service. That was almost like cheating, right? <laughs> 150 pounds of sugar they consume per year. Now, my wife isn't eating any, so that means somebody here is consuming 300 pounds of sugar, and you know who you are. We're not going to point you out. But sugar is an incredible picture of what it's like to have an appetite for the things of this world, for sin, because it promises you one thing and delivers another thing. It actually, the thing it promises is joy and, and, and wonder, and what it does is it gives you a high but then there's the absolute low. And in the end, it leads to sickness and disease. Sin is fun for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. There are a lot of people today who are being diagnosed with diabetes, and it has a whole lot to do with what we put in our mouth. <clears throat> I am, I, I'm just giving you the picture that the enemy is great at, at promising something to young people, like that young person that that Jesus described in his story with the prodigal. Here he was, the life of the party, while he had money. And then his money ran out, and then he found himself eaten with the pigs. That's the way sin actually works. And the enemy will entice our young people and people to see the world and go, I want a piece of that. Whether it be through sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, sports, there's a ton of things that look enticing. But in the end, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three is identity. I wish I had a whole lot of time to talk about this subject of identity. You see, in our story with Daniel, they, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave him new names. To uh, Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. And I love what the Bible says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He didn't even accept that name. Here's what happens with identity. The world will offer you a name. It may be skinny, it may be heavy, it may be whatever, like I said earlier. And what's crazy about it is it may be failure. It may be that you're not good enough. Whatever that title is, what is crazy about it is then we as, a, as, as human beings, we accept the name that the world has given to us and then we start to, to uh, accumulate evidence and data to support the lie. For instance, I'm a failure. And then you go to have a class in school or something like that. You think you've done a good job on that, whatever it was, the test. And it came back, and it's a C or a D, and you were expecting an A or B. And the enemy will whisper in your head, see, it's true. You are a failure. And we begin to have this agreement with the enemy of our soul. It is time to knock off the, the, the lies and begin to put truth in our life. And we can only do that by accepting the title that God has given to us. We are redeemed. We are his child. We are uh, grafted into the, into the family of God. I am his and he is mine. I am his beloved. I am loved by God. I was created by God at such a time as this. I am Christ, and Christ is mine. 
It, you see, before salvation, the world gave you a title. It gave you an identity. After salvation, your identity is wrapped up in who you are in Jesus Christ. And you only get to discover that by sitting down with the Father and saying, God, why have you made me? Why have you put me together? 100% of conflict. I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it here. 100% of conflict that you experience in your life has the opportunity has the opportunity to help you grow. 100% of conflict gives you an opportunity to grow if you face it. If you walk away from it or you just desire peace and you just want to get out of it, you will never grow. 100% of conflict. Somebody calls you a name, it's time to sit down with God and say, God, what's your truth? 100% of conflict is an opportunity for you to grow. I was sitting down with some people uh, in a living free class some time ago and had this uh, uh, African-American gal tell us her story. As we went around just sharing our stories, people had their stories of addiction and how it all began. And as I sit, sat and listened to this gal, it was the most horrible story I've ever heard of uh, neglect by her parents. Uh, they weren't even around, and when they were, they were uh, demonstrating drugs and alcohol, calling names, and uh, it was horrible. So it was not only physical or uh, uh, abuse, uh, what, what word I just used there, uh, but also physical abuse, and then there was sexual abuse that went with it. 100% of people on planet Earth, I know this to be true, have experienced pain in your life somewhere, sometime. We all have to do something with that pain. All of us. She chose to do drugs and alcohol as a result of that, sold her body so that she could get money. There was shame involved. But as she began to share her story, that shame began to lift. She saw hope, not a dry eye around the table. She got all done and she's got snot everywhere. And as she looked up, I said, now let me get this right. Somebody hurt you, and you took it out on. And that's when she had this light bulb go on. She began to weep and cry. I took it out on me. I took it out on me. And we began to work through her, all of her stuff. And what was so cool was about six, seven weeks later, as she walked into a building you could tell that God had redeemed and restored her, 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 her innocence. God had restored to her her joy. She had purpose for living. And what's so cool today is that she is using her story. What the enemy meant for evil, she is using it for good. Now, may I say this as we conclude this morning? We all have that prodigal in our life. That person that isn't serving God, maybe it was because uh, they, they couldn't get their, their, their philosophies on God, their worldview correct. Maybe their problem was is that the world offered some things to them and they just couldn't say no. And here they are addicted today to worldly things. Or maybe it's because they believe the lie about themselves and they, they just felt like God could never use me. May I say this about my own life? I, I received Jesus Christ into my life when I was 12 years old. I came from an alcoholic background. My dad was a bona fide alcoholic. He, he um, actually died in a one-car accident when I was 16 years old, just an hour and a half away from here. 
And uh, as a result of that, it got me to thinking about life and, and all kinds of things. I will say this to this day, that there was a church that was there for me. They loved me through it. I saw the goodness of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God through the grace of God's people, the compassion of God's people, and the kindness of God's people. I am a byproduct of a church that loved me well. And I'll say this, that when my pastor gave to me the Word of God and said, read the red stuff, my heart began to flutter and grow, and I began to grow in my faith. I loved having a new world view, because before it was the answers to life are through alcohol, or they're through drugs, or through, through this. But when I discovered that God's truth is God's truth, it put me on a solid path and a solid ground. I had absolutely no problem with walking away from the appetites of this world. I saw what the appetites of this world had done to my family. I didn't want to continue that uh, legacy to my generation, to my kids. And so I walked away from uh, the appetite of this world. But where I almost lost out with God was I didn't think God could ever, ever use me. I looked in the mirror and said, God, you just made junk. I saw this skinny little kid almost took my life because of it. Does anybody even like me? And it was only when I sat down with God and God began to put into me a new sense of, of, of direction, joy, a passion for life. I am here today because of what God spoke to my heart, that I am his and he is mine and he will never, ever, ever let me go. I'm grateful for him. God wants to use you, but you got to let him. Begin to uh, get rid of the lies in your life that are there and you know what they are. Replace those with truth and watch what God does in your life in an incredible way. As we conclude this morning, I'd like every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you are that prodigal. You sit in church or somebody made you come or, or maybe you're just wondering about the things of God. Today you'd just like to say, you know what, I wanna make sure I'm right with God. I want you to pray for me. I want to be put on the right path. I want to start this journey with God. And I want the hope that this world has failed to give me. And if that's you this morning, I would love to, for you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here that way? Anyone? One. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Can we pray together? Can we just say this as a church? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Erase the lies that have been placed on my heart. Speak truth into my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my emotions. And Jesus, I give you the wheel of my life take over. Use me. Forgive me today of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. I was with a young man, Cole Foster, not very long ago on a golf course with him. I was actually his high school golf coach for several few years. And uh, I was really blessed that he said, uh, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't a Christian. And today he's really serving God. And he said, there was something that you said as my coach that made a huge impact, had a huge, uh, made a big deal in my life. 
And, uh, and, and I was like, that's pretty cool. I'm watching Cole Foster just grow in his walk with God and cool things happen. There are people that God wants to put in your life. And I had prayed for Cole, God, bring him home to Christ. To watch God do that in his life, I hope and pray that all of you have an opportunity to have had an impact in somebody's life and that you can go, it was because of my prayers, my faithfulness to God, God used me, and there's a person that I made a difference in their life. As we conclude this morning, that person that you know, how many of you know that person who doesn't have a relationship with God right now? They're that prodigal. And I'm going to ask you today to fight for them on your knees. I'm going to ask you to fight for them in prayer. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm going to ask you to commit to this one thing, and it is this. You're going to pray for that person every single day for the next six months. If you have to put it in your phone to remind you that at six o'clock at night, you're going to start to pray for, and you put their name down, um, that's what I'm asking you to do. How many of you will make that commitment to pray for that person, those people, every day for the next six months? That is cool. I believe that God's going to do something cool in their life. Believe that. Pastor Kevin, come get him. Thank you, my brother Greg. You know, when someone stands here and says that they struggled with their identity and their value so much that they would consider taking their lives. And you, see, you look at their life right now and you, you say, nothing could be farther from the truth. That, that young person that that lie was spoken to. And the enemy knows that God has plans in store for us. And he has plans, uh, that God has plans for others that have not yet come to know Christ. And God wants to use us to speak his love to those people so that they have a chance to respond. Peter said, God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. What a privilege it is to be used, to be one of God's spokesmen, spokeswomen, to be able to declare the truth of his word. Pastor Greg, thank you very much for being here. I just